Hello and welcome to a CHI podcast for the upcoming Leveraging Pharmacies for Rapid Diagnostics conference being held this August 19th through 20th in Washington, D.C. My name is Samantha Lewis and I'm the conference producer working on the meeting. Today I'm speaking with Allison Daring Anderson, who is a clinical assistant professor of pharmacy at the University of Nebraska College of Pharmacy. Ali coordinates and teaches the OTC and self-care products course and the point of care testing course, does the didactic training for the immunization class, and teaches pharmacy law and ethics in pharmacotherapy. Welcome, Allie, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. So my first question for you is that in theory, having your local pharmacist be able to conduct a point-of-care test is pretty awesome, but many people are wondering if this is practical within the existing pharmacy workflow. In the existing pharmacy workflow? No, because it's not a part of the existing pharmacy workflow. Can it be easily incorporated? Absolutely. And it will depend on a couple of things. First off, it depends on quality support staff, whether you call them technicians or whatever their job title is. Interestingly, those people actually manage the work process in the pharmacy much more than the pharmacists, because as pharmacists, we tend to focus on the highly technical professional pieces and let the people who are moving more than we are moving and who are managing some of the work processes do that. So, yes, it is very possible that this can be incorporated into a new workflow that will not be a significant change, but it will be a change in some way because it doesn't exist in a number of stores. It is very similar to the way we change things when we began to give vaccine. It was something we hadn't done before, but it fits nicely into the process, and we sort of do it seamlessly now. I can see a time when some of the point-of-care tests will also seem very seamless. Now, your background, and you have a lot of experience in law and ethics in this area, so what do people need to be thinking about in terms of the legality of these tests? Well, first be sure that pharmacists can, of their own professional judgment, make the decision to run the test. In a few states, that's not possible, so you will need to find a collaborating prescriber to say, yeah, I trust your judgment, or in these cases, I would run a test, and it's fine if you do too. We have to remember that there's federal law that says that any time a patient asks for a test result, it must be provided by the laboratory, and the pharmacy is, in fact, a laboratory, happens to be doing waived tests, but it's still a laboratory. So create a process so that you can give the patient a copy of their results and then decide what you're going to do with them. I mean, it's one thing to have a result. It is something completely different to take care of a patient. I could look at you right now, maybe, and say, wow, boy, let's do this test. And we've done the test. And I can say, oops, you have pink eye. Bummer. Too bad for you. And I can walk away. That doesn't do you any good. That doesn't do me any good. So we need to know exactly what I'm going to do with those results. And in some cases, we are screening, knowing full well that we are not going to be able to complete the full therapeutic process, but knowing that screening the patient and getting them appropriately referred should that screen be reactive, that's very important. And I really think that the ethics side of this is a bit more difficult then the legal side, pharmacists have followed rules to the letter for years. And now that we're vaccinators, we know 
if we have to register as medical waste generators or whatever. But making the decision, it is better for the patient for me to test than not to test. Or the more difficult decision, at least early on, it is better for me not to test for the following reasons. That is a bit of a paradigm shift. I think we are well equipped to do it. Now we just need a little practice. Right. So you mentioned collaborative care agreements, and I want to go a little bit more into that because it seems like it will be a huge part of allowing pharmacists to not only run the diagnostic tests, which you know they can do anyway, but also to possibly make changes to medications or act on the results of that diagnostic test. So can you elaborate a bit on how those work for those who may not know? Oh, surely. There is running a test under a CLIA certificate of waiver does not change the scope of a pharmacist's professional practice. That is, you don't suddenly have the authority to prescribe. So you need to collaborate with someone who does have that authority. Clearly, the pharmacist is still the drug expert. So your collaboration is under the following clinical circumstances with the following test results. I, the prescriber, am granting you, the pharmacist, the permission to dispense the best drug. The prescriber understands that the pharmacist is always going to pick the best drug because that's what we do. The pharmacist understands that there are certain clinical criteria that are not acute and not a crisis, and that If those criteria are met, let's take care of the patient as quickly and reasonably as possible. Included in that, though, is what if a really sick patient comes in? They have a breath rate that is too fast. They have a fever. Whatever is going wrong to the point where I, as a pharmacist, am not comfortable treating that patient. The patient needs more rapid, more intensive assistance. How am I going to evaluate those patients and get them sent to the correct place, and how can I guarantee that in sending them to the correct place, there's going to be somebody there to care for them. That is the essence of collaborative practice. There are some things that pharmacists do that prescribers could do with some guidance, and there are some things that prescribers do that pharmacists are clearly capable of doing with some guidance, and this is a recognition Uh, that while we respect each other's professional strengths, we understand that there are places where our jobs really do overlap. And it's all about the patient. Nobody is going to collaborate to do something that nobody wants. You're only going to collaborate to provide a service that the patient or that the public health officials or that somebody is looking for. So it's actually the ultimate in respect, I think, for all of our professionalism. And it works very, very well. And so in all of your travels and talking to various pharmacists and medical professionals, how open would you say people are to these types of agreements? I think that it is as varied as opinions on who's going to the World Series this year. And it is mostly based on experience. Those prescribers who have trained with pharmacy students, those prescribers who have experience with collaboration, are much more open to it. Those prescribers who have participated in federal public health or Indian health or Native American health or the military system or the VA system, those are all collaborative systems by design. 
and those folks are much more willing to collaborate. Folks with very limited experience in collaboration, folks, and, and it's interesting, the most talented have the smallest ego because they know they're the most talented. They don't need anyone to stroke that. And so very, very talented people, public health-minded people, and people who have worked in collaborative systems are very willing to collaborate. And it's not just on the prescriber side. There are some pharmacists who are reticent to collaborate, and that's okay. This is not a service designed to be provided by everyone. You have to want to because it takes some effort and it takes some caring. But for those who want to put forth the effort and who care very much about centering their practice on patients, reluctance goes away very quickly if it was there at all. Now, I want to get a little bit more into the actual practice of this, and this sort of ties back into the collaborative care agreements because you've got bigger box stores like CVS who are sort of skirting this by having PAs and NPs in some of their clinics. And I know that you have spoken strongly about the fact that pharmacists are very capable of doing many of these tests. So going forward, what model do you think makes the most sense to be used? You know, something using an NP or a PA, or do you think that this is something that pharmacists could and should be doing? Wow. Can I pick both? I know that wasn't an option when you asked the question. I think that there is absolutely a place for walk-in diagnostic care using a nurse practitioner, using a physician assistant, using a physician. There are some things for which there are no quick tests. There are some patients who are too sick or have some other clinical challenge that pharmacies shouldn't cope with. And that's, frankly, what the PAs and the nurse practitioners ought to be dealing with. For the patients where we have reasonably low acuity, reasonable confidence of what truly is best practice, it's fine with me if they come to the pharmacy counter. So let's pick, I don't know how old you are, and that's okay, you, your mom, and your grandma and you all ache and you feel awful and you come to my counter. You perfectly healthy, nothing going on, you just have influenza. You I can test and treat. Your mom, well, maybe she's got a little problem with her blood pressure. When we check it, it's normal, she's taking her meds. Her I can probably test and treat. Grandma, very frail, has had a problem with lung disease. I don't want to take care of grandma, and you don't want me taking care of grandma. You want me to be able to say, you know, two aisles down and to your left, we have a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, whomever, and your case is complicated enough that I want to use their talent. So I can see it being a situation where we complement one another. If it is low acuity and you present to the nurse practitioner, you may get referred straight to the pharmacy. If it is high acuity and you present to the pharmacy, you may get referred to the diagnostician. Interestingly, however, in most of the settings where there is a walk-up clinic with a nurse practitioner, physician assistant, whomever, they tend to have shorter hours than the pharmacy. So if you get there too early in the morning or too late at night, you don't have that opportunity which is why I think pharmacists need to be trained and refreshed in their basic training to do all of these folks so that we can handle weird hours and those kinds of things. And on those weird hours, 
who do we refer to if our primary referral source, the nurse practitioner in the store, is not available? But I can see a huge role for both, especially if we begin to look at, I need a bit of data to complete my medication therapy management review. I need creatinine clearance to test kidney function, or I need hemoglobin A1C to look at diabetes. I need a potassium level. There is absolutely no reason for you to wander down the aisle to see a nurse practitioner to pay a copay to have a lab test that I can run in the pharmacy. Because I am conducting the MTM, I know what I need. By the same token, if you think possibly you have broken an arm, don't come see me. I'm a really good pharmacist, but I don't do broken arms. You go on down and you check with my nurse practitioner and let her decide if you need a cast or a referral or whatever. So I think that we can complement one another within the same facility, especially when we look at what our true talents are. I think we can do that all without stepping on anybody's toes. So to wrap this up, I kind of want to get into training a little bit and future steps. I know that you personally are very involved in training pharmacists all over the country to sort of take on these new challenges. So if you could elaborate a little bit on what that entails, that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the compliment. I will tell you that I don't train them. I simply help them look at things they already know how to do in a different way. Pharmacists who graduate today already give vaccine. They already do physical assessment. They already have the skills and the talent to look at best practices and best drugs and decision-making in the face of an allergy or whatever. So what we do is we take pharmacists with all of this training and all of these talents and say, let's bundle them together slightly differently. Let's look at the patient. Are you capable of assessing patient-reported symptoms to know if this is something that you can test by yourself? And they absolutely, we've been making OTC recommendations for years. Right. Are you capable of doing the physical assessment? Absolutely. We have been doing that for years. Wonderful. Are you capable of picking the best drug for the disease? And then you begin to get that cross-eyed look that says, okay, what are you doing? And it becomes evident to them. Absolutely, I actually do have all of these talents. I never thought of bundling them like this. So our certificate training program isn't so much about training as it is refreshing and refocusing. And we talk about everything from the disease dates, from sort of a pathophysiology level, to the pharmacology of the drugs, to the appropriate therapeutics of the drugs, to how to monitor the patients, how do we get referrals, we spend some time talking about business sense, and my love, as you had indicated earlier, is the law and the policy, and so I spend some time talking about laws that are going to come into play and how we will evaluate those. A little extra time on the clinical laboratory improvement amendments, because those may be outside of the normal experience for the pharmacist, but beyond that, we sort of help very talented people refocus those talents to providing this service. Okay, final question. Obviously, training is a huge part of moving testing into a pharmacy, but what other steps need to be taken to make point-of-care testing in the pharmacy commonplace? If this is something that you want to do as a pharmacist, it is something you'd like to see your pharmacy do as a patient, I really think practically the first step is deciding, do I have the space? 
is there some place where I can draw a sample, whatever that may constitute, and chat with a patient about the results? If there is not currently a space, am I going to build one or am I going to make a different decision? I think that that's first. Secondly, many of these tests and the test manufacturers have not considered pharmacy as a viable business partner. And I, I think that there are things that pharmacists would like to see be CLIA waived so that we can use them in pharmacies that the manufacturers had not previously considered as something that would be useful. So we need to chat with one another to say, manufacturer, what kind of information do you need from us as pharmacists? And for the manufacturers to say to us pharmacists, hey, what can we do to improve this partnership and make our life better? And I think that we're getting there. There are a number of groups who are working pretty diligently to help us get together. And I think as word of the program begins to spread, there will be more and fascinating conversations. And it may be a bit embarrassing, but I suspect that it will be someone from my children's generation who are more technically savvy than me who are going to come up with things that I can't even dream of. And for that, I'm grateful to be a part of this at the very beginning because I suspect that five years from now we're all going to turn around and look backwards and go, oh my goodness, look at all of the things that have changed so very quickly now that everybody understands how many benefits there are to this process. All right, Allie, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. You have a lovely day. Thanks. You too. This has been a CHI podcast with Allie Deering Anderson of the University of Nebraska College of Pharmacy. You can hear more from Allie as well as other leading pharmacy and diagnostic experts this August 19th through 20th in Washington, D.C. For more information and to register, visit nextgenerationdx.com.